At least once a year, we like to um, offer in worship some of the smaller books, uh, the, the shorter writings in the Bible. And um, this is one of the shortest. We have been in 1 John uh, the last couple of weeks, which is already short. And then 2 John only has 13 verses, which, let me tell you, confused the office all week. They didn't know how to put it in the bulletin. So I'm going to read the entire letter of 2 John to you. It's the only writing we have to this church. Uh, It's a specific congregation that the writer calls uh, the elect lady. That's what he calls that church. So listen to these words from 2 John. The elder to the elect lady and her children, with whom I love, whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, peace, and mercy will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I was overjoyed to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we have been commanded by the Father. But now, dear lady, I ask you not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but one we have had from the beginning. Let us love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard it from the beginning, you must walk in it. Many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who did not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Be on your guard so that you do not lose what we have worked for, but may receive a full reward. Everyone who does not abide in the teaching of Christ but goes beyond it does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Do not receive into the house or welcome anyone who comes to you and does not bring this teaching. For to welcome is to participate in the evil deeds of such a person. Although I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister send you their greetings. The word of the Lord. Each week on Wednesday morning, uh, in these front uh, pews, uh, I lead chapel for the Hobson uh, children. And it is 15 minutes, but sometimes it feels like 15 hours. Um, I have aged that much in the 15 minutes. Uh, They are rambunctious, to say the least, three, four, and five-year-olds. And the last few weeks, we've been going through uh, the three lost stories that Jesus tells in a row, uh, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, uh, often known as the prodigal son, right? But it's a lost sheep, a lost coin, and then a lost son. And so in teaching them, I showed uh, the children a picture of a young man uh, looking despondent and sitting among pigs. And I walked it up and down the pew, and I said, who do you think this might be, children? What was their answer? Jesus. Jesus. And I said, well, 
you know, we've been taught this is the son who was, you know. And then I showed them a second picture. And in my second picture, it was the woman sweeping her house, you know, looking for that coin. Um, and I walked the picture up and down the pew. And I said, does anyone have any idea who this might be? Do you remember? What was the answer? Same thing. Jesus. That is Jesus. Now, for those of us who are uh, in the business, we call that the children's sermon answer. There's an official title for it. It's the children's sermon answer. And the theory goes that you could describe anything to a child, but if you do it in Sunday school or at a children's sermon, the answer is always Jesus, right? There's the old joke that the pastor describes a squirrel to the kids, and they say, well, that's Jesus. So, so the Sunday school and the children's sermon answer is Jesus. That's Jesus. So I show them a picture of a man with pigs, and, and one part of them is thinking, well, that's a farmer, I think, but I'm in the sanctuary, so it's Jesus. And I show them the woman sweeping, and they think that kind of reminds me of my grandmother, but it's chapel time, so that's Jesus. It's very simple for them. They have no problem uh, believing at three and four and five years old that Jesus looks a lot like us. They don't question it at all. It seems basic, but that was one of the biggest controversies to face the Christian church. It was the most scandalous uh, gospel that was proclaimed, and it was one of the most important messages, that Jesus is fully God, and, and they believed that. They believed it fully. But is he fully human? That was the scandal. He's fully God, everyone said. But is he really human? Is he fully, completely like the sitting next to pigs kind of human? Really? There were all kinds of, of teachers going around the church in the early days who were offering up these other teachings, the teachings that said that Jesus could not have been that kind of human not the sitting next to pigs kind of human, not really made of flesh and blood. And it was this false teaching that the writer of Second John is really concerned with. You heard him mention how upset he is about it. It's a really short letter. If you looked at it in your Bible, it's only like half a page long. It's more a postcard than a letter. And in it, the writer reminds us of some things we learn from the Gospel of John, that the greatest commandment is love, and that to follow the greatest commandment is to walk in love. These beautiful words. And then right after that, the writer of 2 John says, but if someone is teaching that Jesus isn't human, don't invite them over for dinner, don't let them stay at your house, don't worship with them. Walk in love. The greatest commandment is love. And yet if this teaching isn't followed, then shun them. And it, and it makes us uncomfortable and it makes us a little confused because was it really worth that? We want to ask this writer, was it really worth that? What is so important about Jesus being really human that it's worth shunning people over? What is so important? It is difficult to fathom 
and to take in the enormity of how it is that Jesus saves us. It is difficult to take that in. One common image that's been given for it is that uh, Jesus saves us because we are on this edge of a cliff, we humans, and, and on the edge of another cliff is God. And there is this huge chasm in between us that we cannot cross. That's a very common image for this. And that Jesus, he spans the chasm. That's what he does. He is fully human and he's fully God, and so he has footings in both. So he is the bridge. That's one way we've looked at how in the world does Jesus save us. Martin Luther, he knew about this image of a bridge, but he preferred the idea of a ladder. He wrote once, he said, I begin with the swaddling clothes, and I accept the one who came. I seek the one in heaven, but I haven't got a ladder to climb there. I can't get there, Luther said. That's why. It was so important to the writer of 2 John why it is so important to us today. If Jesus isn't human, then he does not know us. If he isn't human, he cannot carry us across that chasm. There would be several crucial rungs of the ladder that would be missing if he isn't human. We can do nothing for ourselves. If his humanity can't get us to God, then we're sunk for sure. We need Jesus to get us to God. And of of course, we need it the other way around, too. We need Jesus to get God to us. There's a pretty well-known professor, and he's known for his preaching. He's a Presbyterian uh, preacher named Tom Long, and he has these powerful sermons, and he tells a story one day of when it all uh, went differently than he thought. He talks about how he, he wrote an article in a magazine about intergenerational worship and how we could do a better job of mixing up children and adults in worship, and then he thought nothing more about it. The article got published. He thought nothing more about it. Until one day a woman called him on the phone, and she was the educator at her church, and she said, I liked your article, and he said, thank you. And she said, you need to come to my church and do it. And he admits in his writing that he really tried to put her off. He didn't want to do it, he just wrote the article. But as an educator, she persisted. And she said, no, come to our church and show us how to do intergenerational worship. So... He went, and he describes their plan this way. This is what he writes. We planned what promised to be a wonderful service to be held in the fellowship hall of the church on Sunday afternoon. Families were to be seated at tables, stocked with flour, water, and yeast. Adults and children would together mix the ingredients into bread dough, and while they were kneading it for baking, they would talk with each other about their faith. Then the dough would be taken to the adjacent kitchen to be baked, and while the aroma of baking bread wafted through Fellowship Hall, I would preach an intergenerationally apt sermon, followed by the Lord's Supper, using the bread the families had made. It was a lovely plan. Do you want to imagine what happened? It was a disaster. It was a disaster. 
It turns out it had rained the whole weekend before, so this was the first time the children had been let out of the house all weekend. So children are screaming and adults are surly. And he describes how some of the older kids were throwing wads of dough at each other across the room. Chairs were falling over. It was a disaster. And just when he thought it couldn't get worse, there was a problem in the kitchen. The ovens weren't working. And so you have this renowned and powerful preacher, Reverend Long, and he is desperately padding his sermon, dragging it out so the bread will bake. This is how he says it ended. When we finally arrived at the end of this misguided adventure, the room was cacophonous. Parents were yelling, babies were crying, children were screaming. And for the finale, the plan was for me to raise my hands over this uproar and to give it a blessing. The peace of Christ be with you. And the word peace seemed like a mockery in this chaos, but I was too tired and distracted to think of anything more fitting, so I just said it. The peace of Christ be with you all. And then a miracle occurred. Out of the tumult came this child's voice. When I said, the peace of Christ be with you all, somewhere out there in the clamor, she simply said, it already is. That's all she said, it already is. But the power of it, he writes, made me shiver. Jesus, in his humanity, he gets us to God. He climbs all the way up to him. And Jesus, in his humanity, also gets God to us. God climbs every single rung down to become one of us. Because of Jesus, God transforms what it means to be human forevermore. Our mess is not just a mess. But it is a mess that God took on. And our disasters are not just disasters. They are disasters that God understands, that God works in, that that God can work through. The good news of Jesus Christ is that he is in the messiness. He was human, like you and like me. His peace is available even in the cacophony of disasters. His peace is available in the mess. And more than that, what God does in Jesus, it means that our mess isn't even a mess to God. Our disaster isn't a disaster. God does not think we are in the muck. He doesn't. We are the ones God chose to join, to become one of, to love and make worthy. The ladder has so many rungs on it, and we cannot climb them. So God descended upon them came down every single one to make us more and more like him. I know that we like to say that in Fort Smith, life is worth living, right? What's the phrase? Life is worth living in Fort Smith, right? Did I get it right? It's on the sign. Life is worth living in Fort Smith. And that is true. Life is worth living in Fort Smith. But we know that our lives have much deeper meaning in place or location, it is more profound than that. It is for us that Jesus makes human life worth living. 
Jesus makes human life worthy. He makes us want to live it. It's not just a Sunday school answer. It's not just something we say during a children's sermon. It should be no surprise that if we saw a boy with pigs, we would think to ourselves, that looks a lot like Jesus. Or if we saw a woman sweeping, we might say, she has a lot of familiarity to me. Is it Jesus? It's not just a Sunday school answer. It's not just a Sunday school answer. It is the Christian's answer to our lives. It is God's answer to us. In flesh and blood. Amen.